Can I interrupt you for five seconds? Yes. You can interrupt me for more. You know it's Scorpio season, right? Um, no. What? Well, that's incredible because you brought up scorpions during Scorpio season. I just need you to know that. What's scorpion season? I'm from Michigan. We don't have scorpions. Scorpio? Like astrology? Oh. Oh, okay. Wow. As I alienate a lot of our audience. Anyway, okay, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Okay. Anyway... Would you like to introduce us? Yeah. Welcome to Fauna Facts. I'm Grace. And I'm Mads. And we're here to talk about fun facts about animals and the weird things that people do with animals and the weird relations they have with animals. I think that's a good description of our podcast. I think so. Have you seen the one that I've been posting on the internet? No, I have not. What does it say? A quasi-educational, fully humorous discussion of animal facts you hopefully hopefully didn't already know. Featuring Grace, a zoology grad student, and Mads, a law student. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's pretty spot on. Obviously, you've thought about it, so good. I mean, I wrote it, so I guess I, I, guess I thought about it. Oh, I mean, I said it, but that doesn't mean I thought about it. <laughs> Well, let's see. You want to get started then? Yeah, let's let's do the thing. Okay. Well, today I wanted to talk about scorpions, specifically about autotomy. So that's when animals lose body parts. So you've probably heard of lizards losing their tails. And in other arthropods, spiders can lose their legs, insects can lose their legs. But if they're young enough, they can actually regrow those legs. But scorpions are kind of weird because they can lose their tails. But it's not like lizards that regrow their tails because scorpions can't regrow their tails. This is really bad for them because scorpion tails have a really important part of their body, which is their part of their digestive system and their anus. So... Their anus is right behind their stinger, or maybe behind. It's right next to their stinger, at least. Whoa. Yeah, which is, I was thinking about this. I went to a meeting this year, and I heard a talk about it, and it was really cool. But I was thinking about this because I'm teaching, what is a chordate? And so chordates are, like, everything with a backbone and some other things. And one of the characteristics is post-anal tail. And so I was making a joke. Post-anal tail? All animals have post-anal tails. Why do they say that? Ha <laughs> ha. And then I was like, oh, wait, scorpions. I can't tell this joke anymore. Not that funny, but it cracked me up. <laughs> it's so geeky. But anyway, <laughs> the bad thing about losing your anus is you can't go to the bathroom. <laughs> I very much enjoy that you felt that you had to explain what's bad about losing your anus? Well, it might not be immediately obvious, but it's true. The good thing is 
these researchers who are looking at this specific specific genus of scorpions that can do this, because apparently not all scorpions, when you grab them by the tail, they don't immediately just lose them or don't lose them at all. They'll just kind of scrabble around and try to get away, but they won't drop their tail. They can live up to eight months in the lab without their tail. Without an anus. Yes. They don't, apparently they don't excrete that much. They don't create as much waste. I mean, eventually they would, they do die from being constipated. What do, what do scorpions eat? They're predators. So actually they've done research. I mean, they lose their stinger, which is really important for them to catch things and eat them. And the females are way bigger than the males in these scorpions. I mean, these scorpions aren't that big. They're like 9 to 42 millimeters. So I don't know what that is in inches. They're pretty tiny. But the females are bigger than the males. And the males, like, once they lose their stinger, they can only touch tiny prey. And the females, they can still catch big prey, but it takes them a lot longer. So it does affect some things. And then, actually, the females don't really lose their tails that much. Like, the males are much more likely to lose their tails. How so? Why? Well, just from, like, the experiments they did, females don't drop their tails. The reasons why, they thought maybe because females live longer, so it makes sense that they'd need to keep their tail around longer if they want to have more babies as opposed to the males that only live a couple of reproductive seasons. Mm. So if you lose your tail, you're not going to live that long anyway. And they can still mate, even without their tail. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like, where are their reproductive or- organs? They must not be on the tail. No, they're not. They're, I guess, what would that be? The abdomen? Yeah. They're like where you think of the body of the scorpion, I guess. Interesting. Yeah, and so, and the males, they wander around a lot more than the females, so they're more likely to encounter predators, probably. What do you mean, wander around? Like, females will probably just stay in one place and hunt, but males will wander around, like, a larger territory looking for females to mate with. Hmm. So they're more likely to encounter predators that will try to eat them. But I don't know how common this is. So they think maybe there's like 15% of males are wandering around without tails in the wild, which isn't like a big number, but it's not that small. No, definitely not. Especially knowing that they don't live that long. I mean, they live for a bit, but they don't live that long. So it's happening often. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just like from them surveying and stuff. So to clarify... Did you say that scorpions can also lose legs, but regrow those, or no? I don't think scorpions can lose legs, but insects and spiders can. And so, scorpions are arachnids. And regrow them or not? They can. You know, they have different stages of development. No, not really. Well, they, like, start off as, like, spiders start off as little spiders, and then they shed their skin, and then they become bigger spiders. They shed their skin. They become bigger spiders, and then they shed their skin, and finally they become adults. So if they lose their leg before they're an adult, then they can regrow that leg potentially. Wow, I I didn't know any of that. Yeah, so that's why this is really weird. <laughs> uh, usually, 
animals don't just lose legs that they're never, or I guess tails or appendages that they're never going to regrow back. I was gonna, I was gonna ask a question that I think anthropomorphizes scorpions too much because I was gonna be like, oh, is dropping your tail a conscious choice? I don't know if it's conscious or un. That's they have to be, they have to be awake because they tried to do it with anesthetized scorpions and it did not work. That's very interesting. Does that answer your question? A bit, yeah, I think so. I think what I'm trying to get at is, is this just an automatic response that the scorpion has no control over? Oh, I think you could figure that out. Like if it goes to, what, the brain or not? That's all you could tell if it goes through, if it's processed in the brain or if it's not processed in the brain. I mean, the only reason we know that things are conscious or unconscious in humans is because we can talk to each other about it. We can't ask a scorpion that. But we could, you could look at like where the signal is being sent. One of the people who was doing this research, I saw her talk and it was, it was very good. And everyone in the room giggled when she said they died of constipation. (laughs) Did you giggle? I don't know if I did. It was funny. You just said everyone in the room giggled, so... There was a collective chuckle. I would maybe laugh and then be like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah, we were all like, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what a way to go, right? Oof. Uh, Yeah, so this is up on PLAS1, which is open access. So if you're really excited about scorpions losing their tails, you can look up research by... Camillo Matani, oof, I hope I said his name right, and Salomary Garcia Hernandez. Sorry, PLAS One? What is that? It's just a journal, but it's open to the public, so you don't have to go to a university that pays a bunch of money to get a subscription to Nature or Science. Awesome. Well, great. Thank you, Grace. Yeah. So what do you have? So I want to talk about New Zealand and birds endemic to New Zealand, which most of the birds endemic to New Zealand are endangered. Well, I shouldn't say most. I don't know if that's true, but a lot of them, many of them are endangered. This specific bird, I think the way you pronounce it is Keraru. I'm not sure. And I've heard people in New Zealand call it Kareru and it's a Maori word, so I, re- I just don't know. I apologize. I'm going to say kareru, which in English means pigeon or like wood pigeon. The reason I'm going to talk about it is because it won the 2018 Bird of the Year competition, which is run by Forest and Bird, which is a con- conservation organization in New Zealand. Wait, they is it like they make endangered birds compete? The mo- The bird most deserving of being what? being conserved no no it's honestly just a it's just like an it's like a awareness campaign basically Uh. about the different birds the idea is to get the different birds on your brain (laughs) haha bird brain (laughs) i'll explain it and you'll see what i mean in a minute the carrera won this year i personally was voting for the kakapo which again i don't think that's how you say it but whatever but the carrera won and it does kind of look like a pigeon, except it's a lot, it's very big, it's very large, it's more colorful. 
how big is it? Like, is it parrot-sized or just a really, really big pigeon-sized? What I will say about it is it is definitely bigger than an American pigeon. It's maybe like a pigeon and a half or two pigeons. Okay, I can visualize that now. So the Kareru, it kind of sounds like a pigeon. It makes those cuckoo sounds. A lot of articles that I was reading about it mention the fact that their wings, when they fly, make a very distinctive quote-unquote whooshing sound. I googled that, I YouTubed it, I tried to figure out what they meant by a whoosh sound, and I have to say, they basically mean the sound that any pigeon makes when it takes flight. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. The fluttering sound. Yes, 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 yes. I was pretty amused that they thought it was a very distinct sound, where I live in New York City, and I hear that sound truly constantly. Well, not see, not all birds make that sound. I don't hear that sound all the time. That's true. That's true. But that's what I'm saying is I think it's funny because I'm surrounded by pigeons here. And so I hear that constantly and they act like it's this like special sound. And it is because I don't know very many other birds that make it, but it is very funny. It's not like a Carreru specific sound. No, no, it's not. So Carreru's primarily eat fruits from the native trees and so they play a very important role ecologically because they're big enough that they're the only birds actually capable of eating the largest native fruits so they're kind of like responsible for spreading those seeds but the funny aspect of this which is why I wanted to talk about it is they're kind of known for eating this fruit, and getting drunk, essentially. Okay. So what happens is the Kareru gorge themselves on fruit, and then they sit in the sun for long periods of time to digest their food. And if the fruit is ripe and the weather is warm, it can ferment in their crop, which is their like internal pouch that's part of their digestive system. And basically, this fruit turns into alcohol. <laughs> Oh, you mean it turns into alcohol in their crop? They're not, like, eating fermented fruit. They're eating fresh fruit, and then it ferments. Yes. They're eating very ripe fruit, and then they're sitting in the sun, and then it ferments in their crop. Oh, my God. It's so funny. They truly get drunk and literally fall out of trees. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I've, like, seen videos of, like, animals eating fruit, and then, but it's, like, already fermented. It's kind of incredible. It's incredible that they can do that and don't seem to know that they're doing it. I have a quote from a bird recovery center in New Zealand that was like, oh, it was a very good fruit season, but there's a large number of Kareru putting themselves in danger by going over the limit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, because, yeah, because you don't want these these endangered birds. You don't want them to hurt themselves by falling out of trees. Right. So... In 2010, this sanctuary that I just mentioned was inundated, apparently, with about 60 of them who'd had too much guava. And the manager, Robert Webb, said, quote, They were coming in absolutely drunk as can be. It was ridiculous. We were getting people bringing armfuls of these flaming drunk pigeons. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they would keep them for three or four days, give them basic food, sober them up. 
three or four days? That's how long their hangover is? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I would think that you just had to sleep it off and then they're fine, but... I guess you have to be more careful with endangered animals. I mean, I guess because they keep it in their crop, right, they can access it for a longer period of time. But, yeah, I mean, the danger is that they they fall out of the tree and then they're very vulnerable to any kind of predator. Oh, yeah. Because they're just, they're drunk. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure, like, people's cats were bringing them to the doorstep and stuff. Mm -hmm. Look what I found. Look what I caught. Wow. This is what a Carrera looks like being crowned bird of the year. Oh, oh, that's really pretty. It does look like a very, very large pigeon, though. I mean, it's, I know it's poofed up. This very cold bird, I'm assuming. But they photoshopped a little crown and scepter. It's very cute. Here's a more, here's like a more normal looking one. Oh, yeah, that one just looks like a very pretty pigeon. And not one not one of those, like, froofy breeder pigeons that, like, fancy pigeons. <laughs> just, like, you know, maybe you see one in New York and you're like, oh, that's a very dapper pigeon. <laughs> but if you saw it in New York, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's a very strange pigeon. I'm sure if you saw that on the street, you'd be like, oh, that's. A dapper pigeon. It looks different from the rest, but I can't place why. Well, I sure do call my pigeons dapper in my free time. When I think of New York and pigeons, I think of on the waterfront, like, a pigeon for a pigeon. What? Have you seen that movie? Mm Mm-mm. Oh. Well, I don't want to give anything away, but there's, yeah, there's pigeons. It's a very good movie. But wait, I have I have a little bit more information about the Bird of the Year competition that I just really think you'll enjoy. Okay. So the Bird of the Year competition also featured on Tinder for the first time. Mm. And they did this with a kaki or kaki. I'm, again, not sure. Sorry. But they had a profile for Shelly the kaki or, in English, a black stilt which is another bird, and Shelly had over 500 matches across New Zealand, which is just very funny because kaki are one of the rarest wading birds in the world. There's only like 132 adults left in the wild, so they're oh. yeah, so they're rarer than the kakapo, the takahe, and the black robin, which are all other endangered birds in New Zealand. And actually... The kaki, a lot of New Zealanders don't actually know them. Like, I've never heard of them before. And then there's this whole thing where... So there was some controversy over whether the kaki were a real species requiring conservation because the kaki bred with their closest relatives, which were the poaka or the pied stilt. So it was, like, hard to tell whether the kaki that they were seeing in the wild were actually like pure kaki or they were hybrids in disguise. Right. I've heard of this problem before. It's called hybrid swarm. Yeah. So far, there's they've used a lot of DNA testing that's been really helpful. So it's confirmed the species boundaries between the two, between the kaki and the poaka. And that actually... The kaki pairing decisions led to the Tinder for Kaki concept because for every bird in captivity 
there's like a profile of pedigree and genomic relatedness between potential bachelors and bachelorettes. So oh, okay. with birds having the final say, resulting in final pairing decisions. And so that's why they were like, oh, it's like swiping right or left. But actually, it seemed to be a really great tool for science outreach because Tinder users were curious about running into a bird on Tinder, and they had a lot of one-on-one conversations that seemed to be helpful and useful. People had conversations with a, or like a ranger. I don't know who it was. I th- it might have been. I think it was scientists. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. When you said birds on Tinder, and I was like, mm. yeah, but actually, it was really great. And like I said. By the end of it, the bird had matched with over 500 people across three major New Zealand cities, which is, like, pretty great for a critically endangered and very pretty much unknown bird in that country. Yeah. Actually, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's very silly, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, because now there's all those people that know about this endangered bird. Well, that is awesome. Because they swiped right. That's the moral of the story. Always swipe right. You never know what you're going to get. I, no, I don't think that's the moral of the story. <laughs> but I, it is interesting. Like my lab studies butterfly sex. People are just interested when you talk about like. Doesn't matter if it's bird sex, butterfly sex. When you talk about animals choosing partners and them being really picky, people are like, "Hey, that's like me." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, who says that's like me? Like other scientists in the room, or just people reading about it? No, no. This is like my experience with Uber drivers. I'm sorry. You talked to your Uber drivers about butterfly sex? Well, okay. This was going to that conference that I went to. And they're like, oh, there's a big group of you guys. What are you here for? And then my advisors, oh, we're here for this conference, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then it comes up like, oh, yeah, we study butterflies. What about butterflies? Sex. And then people are like, oh. So we, yeah, we study sexual selection. Not We don't just say butterfly sex. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting story. All right. Well, thank you for joining us yet again for an episode of Fauna Facts with Grace and Mads. If you want to see some visuals to accompany this story, stories, you can find us on Instagram at Facts Podcast. If you don't use Instagram, you can go to our blogger at faunafactspodcast.blogspot.com. And if you have any great animal stories or just articles you want to send us or just like sweet, kind words, that's always welcome. That is faunafactspodcast at gmail.com. And please rate us five stars. And subscribe on iTunes. (laughs) Thank you very much. I like that you told them to rate us five stars. I mean, why lie, right? Like, I know what I want. (laughs) If you're going to do one stars, just don't even look, apparently. (laughs) Four stars, no. Get out of here. I mean, are you my friend if you don't give me five stars when I ask you? I just don't. Yeah, that's true. All right. Let's say bye. Bye.